Amen. Thank you, Lauren. And thank you especially for that video. Um, Melinda asked me before we started this morning if I wanted to see it. And I said, no, I want it to be a surprise. Um, and that was the worst idea ever because I started bawling my eyes out. So I should have watched it first. That was absolutely beautiful. We'll see if I can hold it together for the rest of the sermon this morning. So if you have been joining us for the last few weeks, you know that we've just finished a series in the book of Jeremiah. We've been talking about how the people of God were in exile. And you might wonder why I'm starting talking about that this morning on the day of Pentecost. Um, but I want to just kind of connect where we've been to where we are today for you. So you know how we kind of get to the day of Pentecost. So we've been talking about how the people of God were forcibly removed from their homes and exiled to Babylon. But after the exile was over, uh, some of the people were allowed to leave. They were allowed to leave Babylon, uh, but not everyone went back to Israel. Not everyone went back to Jerusalem. So they, uh, the Jews kind of spread out over the known world and there were Jews living in Rome and Macedonia, Cappadocia, Asia, many, many other places that I can't pronounce. And so a few times a year, they would pilgrimage to Jerusalem for festivals. And Pentecost was one of the three Jewish festivals that required Jews from all over the world to make their way to Jerusalem. And this is really significant because it wasn't just a normal day in Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, the city of Jerusalem was buzzing with Jews from all over the world who all spoke different languages. And the disciples were all together in one place, just as Jesus had told them to be, when a violent wind blew through the house and what looked like tongues of fire came to rest on their heads and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And hearing a commotion, a crowd of Jews gathered and Peter got up to speak. And despite everyone speaking different languages, everyone present could understand what Peter said in their own language. And Peter explained that the coming of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy from the prophet Joel that said, the spirit will be poured out on all people, on sons and daughters, on old and young, on male and female servants, people who had previously been excluded from participation in what God was doing, excluded from the presence of God, were now included in the group God wanted to dwell in and work through. And from this day forward, the church was formed and we are gathering this morning, even though it looks a little bit different than maybe it ever has at any other point in history. We are gathering this morning in this tradition, in this legacy of the Holy Spirit coming and forming these communities. And these communities do similar to what we do today. They started to gather to read uh, and hear the scriptures. They ate together, they prayed and they worshipped together. They shared everything that they had in common and no one was in need. And they continued to share the message of Jesus, which transformed lives and communities. I've said these exact words in a sermon before. I think I've actually said them twice and you will hear me say them again. Um, so apologies. I'm going to be on repeat. But from the very beginning, the church's focus has always been outwards. Jesus didn't say you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to help you establish your own church where you only have to talk to certain kinds of people and the music will always be exactly to your taste. No, Jesus said the spirit is coming to send you out to all people to the ends of the earth, to the people who are like you and the ones that are nothing like you, even to the ones that you wish maybe weren't included. And this is why 
it is really important that we talk about what I'm going to call the other Pentecost. That's what we're going to spend time talking about this morning, the other Pentecost. You see, what happened here in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost was just happening for the Jews, just the Jewish people. Now, sure, they were Jews from all over the world representing different cultures and languages, but they had a shared ethnic and religious heritage that brought them together. So this was nothing overly surprising in one way. There was nothing really surprising about the fact that God was bringing all of the Jews together and forming them into a community, because that's the whole story of the Old Testament up until this point. And the Jews didn't know exactly how it was going to happen, but they were certain that at some point in history, God was going to come back and restore Israel. So, of course, this was happening to the Jews. It's actually what happens next that's really unexpected. And it's probably not entirely correct for me to call this the other Pentecost, um, because the events that I want to tell you about don't actually take place on the day of Pentecost. But hopefully you'll see the connection and the significance. So let me tell you about this other Pentecost that took place. In Acts 10, Peter, one of the 11 disciples, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, who is Jewish, is traveling around the region of Judea and he has a vision. The Bible says that he gets hungry and he falls into a trance, which I just love that the Bible has details like that. He got hungry and he fell into a trance and he has this vision That's a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven full of animals. And he hears a voice from heaven that says, kill and eat, kill and eat. And Peter says, well, I can't, I can't kill and eat those animals. I'm a Jew and those animals are unclean. And the Jewish law says not to eat them. And a voice responds, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. Peter later comes to realize that this wasn't really about food. Even though he was hungry, it wasn't all about the food. It's actually about a new group that are about to be included in God's story. At the same time that Peter is having a vision and trying to figure out what it meant, another man is having an experience of God, and his name is Cornelius, and he is a Gentile. He's not just any Gentile, he was a Roman. You know, that little group called the Romans, the ones who ruled the known world at the time and were partly responsible for the death of Jesus. He was one of those. We're told that he was a God-fearing Jew, a Gentile. So he wasn't a Jew, he was a God-fearing Gentile, uh, but that he prayed to God and gave to people in need. And so he seemed to be sympathetic towards uh, Judaism. So Cornelius also has a vision. And he sends for Peter and he says, come and tell me what this vision is all about. And so Cornelius gathers his family and his close friends in anticipation of Peter's arrival. When Peter gets there, he says to them, are you aware that it is against the law for me, a Jew, to be associating with you Gentiles? Why have you sent for me? It's worth pausing to note what's going on here. Jews and Gentiles, two different groups that the New Testament talks about quite a lot. Jews being the people of God, the Old Testament nation of Israel, and Gentiles being everyone else, every other nation. And the Jews and Gentiles up until this point do not mix. This was two groups that seemed unlikely or even impossible to bring together, to reconcile. It just seemed impossible that they would be ever be reconciled. Because of the Jewish purity laws, the Jews saw the Gentiles as unclean and they weren't meant to associate with them. And among other things, this led the Jews to believe that they were more important than the Gentiles because they were the people of God. 
And so it's into this situation that Peter walks into a Gentile's house uh, and Cornelius answers Peter's question by explaining that he's had a vision. And then he asks Peter to tell him the good news of Jesus. So Peter begins to preach to them about Jesus, just like he's been doing among the Jews. And to Peter's utter amazement, while he is speaking to the Gentiles, they have the exact same experience that he had at Pentecost. And we read in Acts 10, to 46, we read this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And in Cornelius's house, this would have been men and women, young and old, probably slave and free. And the passage continues, the circumcised or Jewish believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. This is the other Pentecost moment. Peter and those with him were genuinely astonished, like it had not even crossed their minds that this could be a possibility. It was news to them that God was doing for the Gentiles what he did for the Jews on the day of Pentecost. That this message was not just for the Jewish community, but it was for everyone. And this is a huge moment in the story. The Holy Spirit, God's very presence, now dwells among and within non-Jewish people. And the Spirit is now joining Jews and Gentiles together into the same community of faith. No one saw this coming. Even the prophet Joel, who saw the vision of the Spirit being poured out on all people, probably didn't have this in mind when he saw that vision. But it becomes crystal clear to Peter that this means the Gentiles are now accepted by God and are a part of the covenant family of God. No longer is the world divided into two groups, divided by race. So no longer is it Jew and Gentile based on their race. In Peter's mind... The world is now divided into two different groups. He would say there are those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Or we might say those who are in the kingdom or not in the kingdom or those who acknowledge that Jesus is king and those who don't. But what's really important is that these new groups, these new labels were not created to keep people out like the old ones had. These labels were important really for one thing, and that was defining the ministry of the church. Who needed to hear the message of Jesus and the kingdom? Those who weren't yet in Christ. But they were welcome to hear and to respond and to join in the people of God. And so what Jesus' death accomplished uh, in breaking down the dividing walls of hostility between people and God and people and people, the Holy Spirit has now sealed. For Peter, the Spirit coming to the Gentiles was the decisive, conclusive evidence that all people, regardless of race, were welcome in the kingdom. And so the mission of the early church then becomes to preach the good news of Jesus, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles who have yet to hear the message of Jesus. And this breaking down of the dividing wall is why Paul can later say in Galatians that there is no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, no male or female, that race, social status and gender should no longer divide us, that those who are in Jesus are unified. So there are many things that the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost can teach us. We want to affirm and uphold that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the power that formed the communities of God's people on the day of Pentecost and is still forming communities of God's people today. 
We want to affirm and uphold that the Holy Spirit is the power of God in us and through us to heal and to restore and to comfort. All of that is good and true. But I think I also don't want us to lose sight of the fact that God is pouring out his spirit on all people and that that is a sign to the early church and to us that all people are welcome, accepted and valued in the kingdom of God, regardless of race. The inclusion of all people in the kingdom of God becomes a major theme throughout the rest of the New Testament, right up to the book of Revelation, where we see this beautiful image of new creation where every tribe and tongue and people and nation are standing before the throne of God, worshipping in a shared voice. Not speaking in the same language, uh, it seems that we get to keep our language, which is kind of cool, and not doing away with culture. Um, It seems that culture is something that's going to be present in the new creation. But in our beauty, the beauty of our diversity is that we are unified with one message that Jesus is king. So in the diversity of culture and language that we can come together and worship Jesus as king. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for that day. Um, I always think about this, always hope for um, and can't wait for new creation. But there are particular times and moments in history Um, In my life and probably in the history of the world where I think people have been crying out and longing for this even more. Uh, As I've been thinking and reflecting about um, this other Pentecost this week, uh, I've had the Bible open, obviously, in one hand. um, That's how you prepare for a sermon. Um, Thinking about these two Pentecost moments. But uh, for me, it's been impossible not to also have the news open in my other hand uh, to be able to hold both what God is saying and then what's going on. Uh, in the world. I've been reflecting and asking, how can this story of the Holy Spirit coming to break down dividing barriers between people speak into what's going on in our world at the moment? And what is the Christian response to the divisions that exist between groups of people based on race? Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but I've been absolutely devastated the last few weeks about what's been happening in the United States. Um, This week, uh, with George Floyd just being the most recent in a long string of racially motivated violence and murder, um, and I've been watching with horror uh, and honestly not able to think about a lot else. Uh, This is what's been on my mind. Makes me really angry, um, and when I get angry, I cry, so bear with me, Um, and it makes me feel really helpless. Uh, And I've been reflecting as well. Um, on how easy it would be for us to look at what's going on in the US and think that that's their problem, um, that it's not ours, that it's only happening in America. Uh, But it happens here too. Regularly in Australia, people who are made in the image of God are treated as less than human because of the colour of their skin or where they come from. This is not how it's supposed to be. Uh, This is not the picture of restored relationship and justice that we see in new creation that I'm longing for uh, and that I know many around the world are crying out for. As Melinda said, uh, it's Reconciliation Week in Australia at the moment. We're in the middle of Reconciliation Week. Um, And I didn't know much about the history of Reconciliation Week until I started reading about it yesterday. Reconciliation Week begins on the 27th of May each year to mark the anniversary of a referendum that took place in 1967. So not within my lifetime, but possibly within some of yours, definitely uh, within my parents' um, lifetime. And this referendum was essentially to vote on the humanity of Aboriginal Australians. 
So prior to this, they weren't considered citizens um, and often not even considered human. Um, and this stems from a common view that existed from the time of Australia being colonised. Uh, but in 1902, this view was articulated by a member of parliament who said that there was no need to include Indigenous people in a national census on the basis that, and this is his words, he says, there is no scientific evidence that they are human beings at all. There is no scientific evidence that they are human beings at all. So it wasn't until the 1960s that this began to shift in legislation, uh, but the legacy of this view lives on. Aboriginal Australians are overrepresented in rates on incarceration, homelessness, suicide, police brutality, despite only representing a really small percentage of our population. Uh, they're regularly dehumanised and marginalised along with migrants and those who are seeking the safety of our shores. So the question I have for us this morning is what do we do with this? What do we do with this? We could dismiss it as a political issue, something that's not appropriate to talk about in church, um, but I see it as being deeply related to what it means to live out our calling as the people of God, the people who are empowered by the Spirit, that same Spirit who brought two unlikely groups together in the early church, who brought the Jews and the Gentiles together, that was the Spirit's work. From the early days, the church's mission has been to participate in the work that Jesus' death and resurrection and that the sending of the Holy Spirit began. Part of which is working to break down the barriers that continue to divide on the basis of race. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and at the other Pentecost are signs of the breaking in of the kingdom of shalom, of wholeness, completeness and justice being established in the world, the things we've been talking about the last few weeks. And we are called to be a part of that, not just to ask God where he's at work, but to ask God to open our eyes to injustice and the ways that we can participate in the dismantling of it in our world. Which brings us back to the Jeremiah Project. Uh, Elliot's going to speak on that a little bit more shortly, but I want us to consider the space for justice in the Jeremiah Project for a moment. Of course, we want to be people who work to restore mental health and build relationships and create beauty and care for creation and who pray for our neighbourhood, all the things we've talked about in the last few weeks. And we are starting to hear some amazing ideas from you on how to do those things and we are loving hearing those. But I don't want us to miss or overlook promoting justice, particularly in terms of racial inequality as one of the categories. I think the temptation would be not to go there because it's hard. It's hard to figure out exactly what to do, but it's important that we try. I think it starts with listening and learning. It starts with self-examination and it's going to mean taking action. So I would seriously love us to consider what actions towards justice we can take as part of the Jeremiah Project and in our lives more broadly in general. And I'm really keen to chat with anyone who is interested in thinking this through some more. Since the day of Pentecost and the day of the other Pentecost, the church has had a vision of what this new community in restored relationship could look like. The church has the picture for how this can work. And so in our world today, I think this needs to start with us. It needs to start with the church. We need to be the ones with the vision, showing people the way forward, what it can look like to be in restored relationship with one another. So to finish off this morning, um, I borrowed a prayer from a guy called Eugene Cho. He is a Korean American pastor 
uh, in the United States. Um, and he posted this yesterday on his social media um, in response to everything that's been happening. Um, and so I'm going to use his words to pray, but I ask that you would pray with me. Oh, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that mourn and break. Lord, please heal our land, our world. Convict our hearts. Open up our eyes. Stir us to repentance and forgiveness. And may this begin with me. In Jesus' name, amen.